You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writers' Centre at writerscentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 237 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? I'm okay. I'm, okay. I'm yep, yeah, I'm okay. Fair to middling? That's good. Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> What's been happening in our world? Ah, oh, let's see. Well, um... Just, yeah, not much. I think we talked last week about the annoying character who kept shouting at me. I've managed to suppress her by Mm. getting out as much as I could and I've put her aside for a little while and I'm gone back to working on my other thing. So I'm giving myself a pat on the back. Oh, well, I'm giving so myself a pat on the back for that and I, I'm hoping yeah. that you're all out there applauding for me yeah. um, for actually doing what I say and not just, mm-hmm. you know, telling everyone else to do it. Um, so I've done that and uh, we, let's see, yeah, that's pretty much me. What about you, Val? What are you cool. doing? Well, as you know, this podcast is winging its way to you from Toronto in Canada. So I've only just got here and it's – um. I haven't really seen anything yet, so I've got nothing to report. <laughs> I've just spent a long time on a plane. Excellent. But you've been busy on the plane, haven't you? You've used your time yes. wisely, haven't I you? I have used my time very wisely on the plane because it's a very long flight, I might just say. It's ridiculously mm. long. And I mm. use my time very wisely on a project that Alison and I are collaborating on. That means I better start using my time wisely on it, right? Yes. yes. Obviously, there's a lot of writing involved. Um, <laughs> so you might be able to draw your own conclusions as to what we're doing, but we won't reveal all just yet because that's just the kind of people we are. <laughs> might be a little premature, a little premature. But yes, um, that's what yes. I have been doing. Good. Okay. I'm very excited for you. And now I also have to do my bit, right? Yes. Now, uh, we want to give a big shout out to Black Knight123. Oh, that's a good name, isn't it? Black Knight123. Now, Black Knight123 has left us a review on iTunes and they've said, I've been listening to Alan Val since the very first episode, so I'm a veteran of the podcast. Oh, wow. That's so cool. I that's a lot of episodes. That's a lot of episodes. Can, can I just say I'd just like to congratulate you on your yeah. persistence and I'm so excited that you're still with us. Yes, exactly. Very, very excited. Um, and Black Knight continues, I realise when people ask questions on forums and at writers' meetings that I've already heard the answers to these questions as discussed by Alan Val. It's packed to the brim with all the latest news in the book world and lots of tips on all things writing. I, rec- I recommend it to all my friends who are writing. Oh, wow. Awesome. Thank you, Black Knight123. <laughs> That's so cool. 
Very cool. Thank you very much, Black Knight. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm excited. I can tell. <laughs> like, I recommend it to all my friends who are writing. Like, that's the only way for, you know, more people to find out about the podcast. I know. So I have to say, I, I, I am so grateful and so incredibly, like, happy about the word of mouth that that our um that our listeners do share with other people because you know I often hear about people who found out about us because someone else told them about us and um and you know it works for my books as well I'd just like to say thank Mm -hmm. you to anyone out there who's ever recommended my um Mapmaker Chronicles books or my Adaban Cypher books to anyone else because word of mouth is just the best the best form of, of, you know, book promotion ever. And, um, the fact that you talk about my books, um, just makes me so grateful. I, I really appreciate it every single time. Yes. You're all awesome. Everyone mm. who's listening. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Hashtag and awesome. Exactly. Hashtag awesome. Hashtag blessed. So if anyone <laughs> has, um, 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on iTunes like Black Knight, uh, one, two, three. Um, we'd really be grateful because it certainly helps us in the rankings and allows other people to find us as well. So let's move on to the world of writing and publishing this week, Al. You've got some links for us um, I do. about murder mystery author Jane Harper. I do. I actually have a couple of related links this week that I thought I'd be very clever and share all at once because it will just show my absolute skill for entwining and um, making stuff up. Segwaying. That's it. Segwaying. This is the genius segue of my life right here. I would just like to say is spelt S-E-G-U-E because I saw it this week spelt S-E-G-W-A-Y. Just want to throw that in (laughs) Isn't the S-E-G-W-A-Y those little roundy wheel things that you ride around yes. the parking? Yeah. Yes, <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm glad we got that out of the way. Um, so I saw a link uh, a little while ago on the ABC News website at abc.net.au and it was called How to Write a Bestseller. And I thought, aha. Uh-huh. And then I saw that it was actually tips from – it's written by Claire Nichols, but it was actually – um, tips from Jane Harper, who has written a best-selling novel, which of course was *The Dry*, which uh, then you know proceeded to clean up um, you know awards and all sorts of other things. So the story is that she has given us six tips on how to write a best-selling novel. Um, and interestingly, like in 2014, Jane Harper decided that she was going to write a book. Um, and then she proceeded to write said book and it was an instant hit. So if anybody knows how to write a bestseller, you would imagine it would be Jane. So I thought I would basically just share. These are tips that she shared at the uh, Sydney Writers' Festival and Claire Nichols has, you know, very nicely and generously put them all into a blog post for us. Um, Fantastic. So the first uh, tip that she has is seriously get started. And I have to say (laughs) that that would be my personal favourite of all of them. Yes. Um, So before she wrote The Dry, Jane Harper was a full-time journalist who'd always wanted to write a novel, but she never got around to it. Um, Mm. So she decided that she was going to do that. She enrolled in an online writing course and she wrote her, basically her first draft in uh, 12 weeks. 
So I think that that is something that um, we can all take a little notice from because, of course, the getting started, if you don't get started, you will not write the book. I think we should basically just, you know, clear that up right from the start. Um, Then she wrote the first book while she was working full time. Um, So, you know, she makes she made the time to do it. Um, she said that she's very, Jane said, she's very disciplined with her writing and yeah. for her to write the dry while she was working full time as a journalist. So she's writing in her day job as well. Um, yeah. that discipline meant carving out one hour every day to write with no distractions. So that was yeah. her, her way of going about it. She would come home from work. She would stay in her work clothes and she would just sit down Um, pretty much set the time and do her hour. Um, And then once that hour was up, she would relax, change out of her work clothes, make dinner and then watch TV. Um, And, of course, you know, it's that whole notion of you've only got the hour. So you really make the the most of it. She wrote her second book while pregnant. So that's, uh, you know, um, she was probably ostensibly still working for most of that as well, I would imagine. So there's a lot of you know, a lot of time management involved, which, you know, she says that her background in um, in journalism actually helps helped with that in a way. She gave herself a deadline. She knew she needed the motivation. She set aside the time. And that's a routine and discipline thing um, that I think any of us can learn, but it does take practice. It really takes practice. Yes. Um, I so- love the, the, the bit about um, she didn't let herself change out of her work clothes <laughs> till after she did the hour. It's just a psychological thing, isn't it? That yep. she's, you know, going to be on track. She's got um, a target. She's got a, a goal to finish and she's not going to let herself change out of her work clothes till she's achieved that. And I think that makes such a huge difference to just have that little ritual. Yes. Now, the other thing I thought was quite interesting and a little bit controversial was that Jane Harper uses a prologue in both The Dry and Force of Nature, which is her second book. And, you know, there's a lot of talk in in literary circles about how you should never have a prologue or, you know, that agents won't read a prologue, all that kind of stuff, whereas she has written a prologue twice um, and she writes them first because they give her the key image. um, And she said that they basically – serve as a guide for the writer, the clear mission statement of where the novel is going. And she also believes that it helps the reader because if you read it, you know, in the shop and you think, well, it's not for me, you're probably not going to like the rest of the book. So she's kind of like, I'm just going to put it all out there and you can either choose to keep reading or not, Um, which is an interesting one because there is so much debate about prologues. Um, I mean, I had a prologue for the first book of the Mapmaker Chronicles, it never occurred to me not to, simply for the fact that I thought it was essential at the time. So I think that that's a really important thing to think about what you're going to do. Um, Now, she also says, and this is a structural thing, she has a very clear picture of what the structure of her books are going to be, and she Mm. wants page turners. Now, a page turner has a very specific kind of structure. Chapters are short and sharp, and they generally finish with a bit of a cliffhanger so that you're going to keep reading, keep reading, keep reading. And she um, is very, very methodical about it. She talks um, or she spoke at the Sydney Writers' Festival about how she will cut off the last few paragraphs and end the chapter a little bit earlier because it will make all the difference in terms of making people want to read the page. So, you know, she, she says, you know, Jane says, I'm quite logical about it. I think... Uh, what can I end this on, which will make someone want to read the next page? 
Oh, it's a yeah, very clinical definitely. look at why you would turn over. Um, now, this is something as a crime reader that I really totally agree with as a reader, as I'm not someone who I don't write crime fiction, but I do believe this as a reader, um, is that the who done it, if you're writing crime mm. fiction, the who done it has to be worth it. If you're going to set up a huge reveal, you have to set up a real a reveal that is going to be worth it. Um, yes. You know, if you've got the bad guy obvious from page one, that's not going to work. If the ending is yeah. convoluted, it doesn't work. If you suddenly introduce another character three chapters from the end who turns out to be the guy that did it, that's not going to work for you. You really have to think about, you know, they've got to basically, you've got to get to the end as a reader. You have to get mm. to the end of the book and think, of course, yes, that's why it happened. Yes. And I see how it was set up all the way through. So um, she says Jane always knows who done it before she starts writing, which Ooh. is interesting. Um, other crime writers that we've spoken to, I remember we um, interviewed Michael Robotham. Uh, yeah. many, many episodes ago, and Leanne, Moria- Leanne Moriarty, who at the time yes. was writing, I think, Little Big Lies or one of the and neither of them have any idea. They are both pantsers and they will basically, yeah. like, work it out as they go along. I think Leanne talked about the fact that she was sitting in her car on the school drop-off, uh, you know, at the traffic lights and suddenly went, oh, of course, that's what it was. So, you know, mm-hmm. I think it's um, th- there are different ways of going about it, but for Jane it is I am going to know who it is and I am going to know how to structure the red herrings and the bits and fours yeah. uh, as we go forward. Um, and then her last tip of to write a bestseller is to write for your readers. Oh, so, yes. you know, she talks about the fact that, um, you know, when she was first writing The Dry, her first her real goal was to finish it. That was the first goal. Mm. Um, and then you think, well, I'll try to make it the best that I can be and it, there's a step-by-step approach to it. But, you know, she she write, she wrote the book for readers and she loves it when people say that they enjoyed it. So um, anyway, I thought that that was um, a really good little article about, you know, writing crime fiction from someone who has had, you know, a lot of success in a very short space of time in doing it, um, which leads neatly into my next. Um, We're segueing now. This will be me segueing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I've lost the link, so I can't segue as quite as quickly as or as well as I wanted to. Um, but uh, the recently the um, long list was announced for the Davit Awards, which is of yes. course the awards for the best crime books by Australian women. Um, and it's very worth having a look at that long list. I'll put the link in the show notes to that. A total of one hundred and one titles have been long listed this year. That's a long list. That's massive, including 71 yeah. adult novels, eight YA novels, 14 children's novels and eight nonfiction books. Um, and I thought, you know, that it was very, very interesting because the, when the Davits first started, um, which was not that long ago, I think they had a total of seven books by Australian oh. women, crime novels by Australian women. Wow. So I just I think it's a really interesting insight into exactly how – um, how much this particular genre has flourished. Like it's amazing that yes. there are so many um, that are going out there. So um, and, and more than a third the, of them, 37 yeah, books on. in total are debut offerings, 37 books yes. are debuts, yeah. And this is the first year that the David Awards have opened eligibility to self-published titles. Yeah. Which might also go 
to explain the very long list. Oh, no, here we go. Look, so back in 2001 when the Davits were launched at She Kilda, mm. uh, which was Sisters in Crime's mm. 10th anniversary convention, only seven books were in contention. Wow. Though it's true that nonfiction crime books weren't, that weren't then included. But a 15-fold increase in 18 years is pretty pretty exciting. So yeah. anyway, have a look at that and um, read yourself through the list. Have a look at what's, you know, being published and um, and what's, you know, making these kinds of long lists and short lists. And, um, you know, good luck with your crime novel if that's what you're writing. Yes. And if you are writing a crime novel, then something to be aware of is that Brio Books have announced a new unpublished manuscript prize the Carter Brown Mystery Writing Award. Isn't that right? Mm, that's right. Um, so it's been established in conjunction with the Carter Brown Foundation and US-based Stark House Press, and it's for novella-length works, mm. novella-length, so not full novels, works of adult crime or mystery writing. So they're looking for around about twenty to 30,000 words. So Just if this is that up. A, Just with that up. If this <laughs> is an area that you're um, – that you're interested in, definitely worth having a look at. The award is open to all writers over the age of 18 and the winning entry will be published in May 2019, pending acceptance of the publishing contract. The winner will be published by Brio Books in Australia and New Zealand, as well as by Stark House Press in the US and Canada. Um, mm. So entries for the inaugural prize open on the 1st of August, so you do have some time and don't close until the 31st of October. So, you know, you do definitely have some time yeah um with the winner announced in feb 2019 so you know have a look at all those davit books and then get cracking absolutely get cracking it's like um a great opportunity and you should think about entering prizes because they it gives you a deadline particularly if you haven't yet got a contract with an actual publisher where they give you a deadline um Prizes and competitions like this give you a deadline, give you something to work toward and make you flex your writing muscle. And the same mm -hmm. goes for things like the Furious Fiction competition where you have a deadline and you have to write a story in 55 hours. That gives you something to work towards and it's just a fun thing to do every month. So um, if you aren't familiar with that, then you should sign up to the Furious Fiction Fan Club, which can be found at furiousfiction.com.au. Now, we just spoke a lot about crime, so I'm just going to flip it to something quite different, quite different oh. to other writers out there. Yes, because um, you've heard me mention that the world of content marketing and content writing has exploded. And mm. it's it's been a situation where, say, you know, maybe five years ago, it was almost a dirty word because um, a lot of people or businesses were trying to use content farms, which is another word of saying a really cheap marketplace where you find people to write content for your website, but really they weren't very good and you ended up with not paying very much, but you ended up with poor quality uh, material. But I'm glad to say that much of the world has evolved and that businesses have realized that it's a false economy and they, you know, it wasn't worth it wasn't worth it using many of the content farms and many business owners now realize a the importance of content and b that it has to be written by somebody with skill <laughs> mm. and that person needs to be paid an appropriate amount 
So I'm grateful that the industry has rationalised and uh, come to a situation where I now know many writers who that's that's all they do. They're freelance writers and they write content for small businesses some or, or big businesses as well, but for businesses. And so one of the courses that we're launching and we're thrilled to be launching this week is our online course in exactly that, in content writing. So whether you're writing your own blog or contributing articles to another publication or site or ghost writing for an expert, which is the most common way freelancers um, do content writing, or you are a thought leader yourself, um, this is very important to write engaging content. So there is definitely an increasing number of opportunities for freelancers to write content for experts and thought leaders. And this course is jam-packed with valuable information so you can create compelling content immediately. And I'm particularly proud of this course because, A, I created it and designed it after working. Oh, there you go. Exactly. After studying the industry for many years and studying the state of the market. Um, And I wanted to make it easy for people. So I have a whole heap of templates that you can follow for different um, types of angles to use in content writing. And these are angles that um, are shown to be engaging to readers and that also enable to you to write quality content. Um, and uh, to take advantage of the special launch price until the 17th of June, go to writercenter.com.au slash content. That's writercenter.com.au slash content. All right, let's move on to our giveaway this week. We have three picture books to give away. Um, Yes, we have three copies of Marvelous Mummy by Katie Polly, illustrated by Giuseppe Polly. Now, we had Giuseppe Polly on the podcast some episodes ago. We did, yes. Yes, he's an IT man by day and an illustrator by night. But this is a book that he's illustrated and um, uh, it's written by his wife. Not only that, Giuseppe's uh, debut uh, outing as the author as well as the illustrator is coming out soon as as well. But um, this is From Being Brave to Being Silly, Mummy Makes Every Moment Special. It's for ages three to six. So go to writercenter.com.au slash win and entries close on the 18th of June. Now, this is a really good one, Al. Is it? Really? Yeah. Uh, okay. Are you ready for the word of the week? Well, if it's a really good one, how could I not be? Yeah, that's right. So that's right. <laughs> you, some people who follow my Instagram will know that I'm obsessed on so many levels <laughs> with <laughs> so apostrophes. Many levels. Yes, so many levels. With apostrophes. Um, obviously, I get a bit stressed when they're misused, so that is a bit obsessive. But I mm-hmm. also paint them. So yes. I have a, a series called the Flying Apostrophes series, and they're now all over Australia and all over the world, actually. But my word <laughs> of the you? week. They are flying. <laughs> they're flying. They're literally mm. they're going on planes. My word of the week is apostrophize oh uh-huh. is this like diarize is it like one of those you know the verb to apostrophe yes you oh. kind of i mean it is oh, so right. apostrophize it 
sounds like the activity of somebody who loves apostrophes. So you would think that I apostrophize a lot because I, I stand there and I'm painting all these apostrophes on my artwork. Well, it is, but it's not the apostrophes you're thinking about. I'm not talking about the punctuation mark, the apostrophe. Did you know that an apostrophe is also, so there's two meanings, is also a digression from a discourse, especially in the form of a personal address to someone not present. So no. you could potentially say that while I'm painting my apostrophes, I'm apostrophizing because I could be just talking to an invisible person and I Do would you? be apostrophizing. Well, I'm not going to just answer checking. that either way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just wondering. But you might say he emerged from captivity and began to apostrophize to the invisible friends he created during his incarceration. But I would just like to say I know that you have apostrophized, Al, because I remember the story. Yes, you have, because I remember the story you told when you were in line at the post office and you apostrophized. Oh, yes. when yes, I responded. That you just talked to no one in particular. You did. When I just was responding to something that was happening in my head. In, in your head, talking to no one in particular. See, that is because you were talking to the um, post office lady and that, that is a digression from a discourse, especially in the form of a personal address to someone not present. You apostrophized at the post office. See, my youngest son used to do this all the time because he had the – Do you, I don't know if we've ever discussed this, but he had the invisible friend. Do you remember that? Oh. Called Alahuhu. Oh, so yes. Alahuhu had many children and she moved into our house when he was about two and stayed quite a while. Um, yes. And every time we sort of turned around, she, she had different numbers of children. There were lots of children. I was glad that I wasn't carrying them around in my handbag. Um, and he would talk to her and, you know, he would come out and he would tell me, you know, we'd be talking and he would tell me that he had to go because Alahuhu was taking him to a party. And I'd be like, what kind of party? Why? And he'd be like, I'm going to an adult party, a grown-up party. Oh. Okay. What's going to happen at the grown-up party? <laughs> We're going Ooh. We're going to do ironing. <laughs> oh, so Okay. Good. So is an invisible friend like that, is that apostrophizing? Well, I Or only if so. it happens during discourse with someone else? I believe that that is an important element of it. Okay. Yes, because like what you did in the post office. Mm. Yes. All right, so that's okay. the word of the Glad week. Glad we cleared that up. It's a good one, don't you think? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a cracker. All right. We're going to move on now to our writer in residence this week. This is really cool. <clears throat> Megan Golden worked as a foreign correspondent for the ABC and Reuters in Asia and the Middle East, where she covered war zones and wrote about war and international terrorism and so on. And then most recently she released her debut novel, The Girl in Keller's Way, which went off, as in it went really well. And now she has written and published, um, released her second book, The Escape Room. And, of course, mega awesome crime writer Lee Child has read it and he said it was fantastic, one of my favourite books of the year. So oh. let's have a chat to Megan Golden. All right, so Megan, congratulations on your latest book, The Escape Room. So for readers who haven't read the book yet, can you tell us what it's about? 
Thank you. Um, the Escape Room is a corporate noir thriller. Um, and it starts off in an elevator where a group of colleagues get stuck. And um, as without getting into too many details, because I don't want to have any plot spoilers, um, <laughs> during the time that they're stuck, a whole lot of secrets that kind of um, sort of they discover a whole lot of secrets about each other and that kind of unravels a lot of uh, acrimony between them and um, the plot develops through that. I love it. Now, how did this idea come into your head? Were you stuck in an <laughs> stuck in a small space with some people at some point? How did did this hit you like a bolt of lightning, or did you kind of think, "Oh, I need th- sort of these people to to be stuck with each other. Where can I put them?" Well, I was mulling the idea and um, for a little while, and it just wouldn't go away because it was it's kind of it was a bit bizarre, to be honest. And when I told my publisher about it, I think she was kind of she was sort of there was this pregnant pause as if she was thinking, have you gone nuts <laughs> or something? Um, but um, so the idea came from a few things. I think it was a convergence of things. One of them was that I was stuck in an elevator, as it happens, with my son. Um, only for a couple of minutes, but, um, it was pitch black and, um, and anyone who's been stuck in an elevator knows that your heart starts thumping. It's actually a terrifying experience. And, um, you start panicking and then you start thinking, well, what happens if nobody, if I can't get out, what do I do? Um, and so I'd kind of got been through that experience. So I had that and, um, I was very interested in a lot of themes um, to do with the way that colleagues work together. You know, colleagues work as, like, as collaborators, but they're also very much rivals um, in companies. And I just, I thought it would just be really interesting putting colleagues in an, a stuck elevator and and seeing what happens to them psychologically. And um, and I'd done a fair bit of research um, about the psychology of elevators, which in and of itself is fascinating. Um, about how, where people stand in elevators and where they look. Um, it's just a fascinating area. I've always been interested in that for some bizarre reason. <laughs> so somehow that was kind of my starting point and then this sort of plot emerged, um, I think mostly while I was writing it really. So hang on, you've done a lot of research on the psychology of elevators. Was this even before this book was even a seed in your, in your brain? You just happened to be fascinated with elevators? Yeah, I think um, like a lot of writers, I'm a people watcher. And if you ever go in an elevator, it's fascinating the way people stand and where they look. You know, they'll often look at their feet or they'll look at the um, the dial up above the doors to see what floor they're coming on and, and wait how they stand. There was actually a study that was done, I think, in the 70s where they had a guy who just a random stranger who walked into an elevator and the people standing there stood facing the back of the elevator and then they filmed what does he do? Like what does he do once he walks into the elevator? Does he turn and face the doors or does he copy everyone else? It's really interesting. So, yeah, I've, it's kind of – I know it sounds strange. But anyway, I've long been interested in just how people react around each other just in terms of, you know, I guess as a people watcher, as somebody who's always had these kind of um, – who's always sort of noticed the, the psychology of the way people behave towards each other when they're in close proximity – 
And an elevator is a very false kind of place to be because you're pushing people in an enclosed space. It's against all of our natural instincts to be stuck together in an enclosed place that we can't get out of. And that lifts us up, you know, hundreds of feet potentially above the ground. It's actually a bizarre (laughs) scenario. Okay. That's, um, I'd love the, uh, I love the term corporate noir. I think that that's awesome. And I think that it's interesting that you wanted to explore themes of colleagues who work together. Where did that interest come from? Um, you know what, it's really an untapped area. My first book was a domestic noir thriller and I really enjoyed writing it and I enjoyed the genre, but I wanted to do something else. And the corporate area is really untapped. There's not very many books and let alone thrillers that are set in a corporate setting. That's right. There aren't. And it's Mm. fascinating because, you know, like for thousands of years, people have we've been you know hunters and gatherers and farmers and so on we've only really been working together in offices probably for the past hundred years or so Mm. Uh, maybe even less and um and just as we were in the wild when we were hunter gatherers we're competing for scarce resources so we're competing either professionally for budgets or personally for salary increases bonuses you know, there's one promotion that's going to be available and there's 20 people who are hoping to get it. It's, And at the same time, you're supposed to be collaborating together and, you know, you kind of get along. And and these days, companies also try and sort of get you energized around a corporate culture so that you'll be loyal and you'll kind of behave according to the values. And so it's a really fascinating place, the way that companies work and the way that people are in companies. Um, so I just thought it had a lot of potential. Um, from a plot and also from a character perspective. And there were a lot of themes that I wanted to explore, which I hope I did in this book. It's a thriller, but I like my books to sort of be more layered than just the thriller plot. Um, So you started your career off because you've been a foreign correspondent for the ABC and Reuters. Can you just give us a very quick potted history of your career thus far and what led you to this point now that you've written your second novel? Um, yes, so very quickly, I actually, I'd always wanted to get into journalism. I kind of hopped on a plane when I was, you know, 22 or something and worked as an intern in the Middle East and um, for the Associated Press as an a intern. And, um, you know, I just used to do all the kind of the jobs that nobody else wanted to do um, for a few months. And then I got a job as a um, producer with the ABC and the Middle East Bureau. And I um, did that for about four years. And I was a radio reporter there as well. Uh, and then I moved to the Reuters news agency as a correspondent and um, covered a lot of, um, well, Middle East peace and Middle East conflict type stories for many years. Um, then I moved to Singapore and um, in between all of this had kids. So I have three sons and um, eventually made my way back to Australia as a mother of three sons. And I wanted to, I, I really had this bug in me to write. So I decided that it was now or never. And I sat down and I wrote my The Girl in Keller's Way. And um, then I, I wrote The Escape Room. I started in about March last year or April last year and um, finished it you know, proper, um, well, finished the editing, everything within about 10, 11 months, which is wow. quite quick for a book. Yes. Now you say that you had this bug in you to write. Was that bug always there, you know, like from childhood or was that something that came later in life? 
Um, I'd always wanted to write as a child. Um, I think most people, I was a voracious reader and I think most people who love reading books always kind of hankered to write as well. And I used to, I'd read books and if I didn't like the ending in my own mind, I'd kind of replot the ending. I guess today <laughs> like we call that fan fiction. But yeah. so I'd always wanted to do that. But, you know, you get caught up with, you start your career and, and I had kids. And um, in fact, every time I had a baby and I was on maternity leave, I'd tell myself, okay, I'm going to write my, my book now. And, you know, it was, you know, you cannot possibly write a book when you're on maternity leave. You're utterly exhausted. So it never worked out. So I just it got to a point where I thought I really have to do this. It's just, you know, it's something that I really feel like I need to do. I love writing. I love researching. Um, and, I, you know, so I um, was, you know, I decided I had a, um, my youngest was um, three at the time and I was for the first time in my career, taking a bit of time off to be, you know, I guess to be around my kids instead of being rushing off to work all the time. And so I decided to use the time that I had to write. And so take us back to the girl in Keller's Way. Was that, which was your debut novel, um, was that something that had been brewing in your head for a long time and then, you know, you came out or did you have other false starts perhaps before you before you hit this one? Well, I, I wrote two other uh, manuscripts that haven't been published, um, which I, I think are probably, I don't know, they haven't been published, so I hope they will be one day. Um, when I wrote The Girl in Keller's Way, um, I guess I, you know, I'd read a lot of stuff in the domestic noir genre. I knew it was, you know, it was a genre that, you know, when you pitch to agents and publishers, I know that there was, I knew that there was an appetite for books in that genre and it's a genre that I loved. So I just, you know, decided I was going to write one in that genre and, you know, read of quite widely for a bit and then sat down and just started writing. And so the two that have not yet been published, are they thrillers as well? Yes. So, um, I, the this one is, is a, you, you like yeah. thrillers. <laughs> I like thrillers, but, um, and I think in the publishing industry, they like you to stick to one sort of, um, micro genre. And I seem mm-hmm. to kind of be hitting a whole bunch because, um, one of them, well, they're both more sort of espionage thrillers, like John le Carré type thrillers. Right. And if, if they do like you to stick to a micro genre, what did your publisher say when you said, um, I don't want to do domestic noir, I'm going to do corporate noir, which is, um, you know, quite a different setting? Well, um, she was great. She sort of said you just have to follow your heart and your instincts. And um, it, would have, it, was, um, it was actually a big risk to write this book, The Escape Room, um, because it was slightly out of the genre of my previous book because the concept itself was quite, um, I guess, original um, and, um, and it was quite risky. Um, so, but she said to me, you have to, you know, trust your instincts. So mm. I did. And so tell me, cause with thrillers, the whole, um, the, the plot and how everything unfolds is so important for thrillers to keep the reader guessing, to keep the reader turning the page. I mean, of course you want that in any book to keep the reader turning the page, but with the thriller, they need to be kept guessing all the time. How did you, are you the sort of person who plots the whole thing out or knows what's going to, how it's going to resolve anyway, or do you let it unfold as you write? I am, I do a combination of both. I have, um, I have a sense of the story arc. I usually know kind of where it's going to start, roughly what's going to happen in the middle and where it's going to end. 
and how we get from from point A to point B to point C, I don't I kind of let the characters tell me as I'm writing it. So when you did your first draft, you said that it took 10 or 11 months, including the editing, I think. So if you take out the editing and you're just getting it to the draft that you're submitting, how long did that take? That took me about um, four or five months. Okay. And so can you tell us what kind of structure you had to your writing process during that time? Like, did you commit a certain number of hours a day when the kids were at school? What happened during school holidays? Um, did you uh, have a goal of a certain number of words per week or something? How did you actually get the words out in some kind of structured or ordered disciplined form? It is a brutal business and <laughs> I um, it, it is because I, um, I set myself a, a rough um, word limit every day of about um, 1,500 to 2,000 words, mm-hmm. and I pretty much make myself write until I've done it. Um, and then the next day I usually revise what I've written and then I write another 1,500 to 2,000 words. And I do it every single day, every weekend, constantly. Um, so seven days. Seven, I mean, this book was written basically seven days a week. I mean, it was written every single day for, you know, the 10, 11 months that it took me. And, you know, often 15-hour days. So often the kids go to school, I'm writing, pick them up, doing stuff with them, whatever, driving them around, making dinner, et cetera. They go to bed and then I'm writing again until one or two in the morning. Um, Wow. So you were writing during school hours and then after they went to bed is what you're saying. Yeah. So once they go to bed and during school hours and during school holidays, which I always kind of dread, um, I'm writing at night. Okay, so with obviously I'm assuming you had some kind of deadline with your publisher then to have that level of commitment. Was Is that correct? Well, I could. I mean, I think they would have been flexible if I'd said, look, I, I can't or whatever. But sure. I, I, you know, I, I'm a journalist by training yeah. and so we set ourselves deadlines and I, I just take them as it's for me it's like in stone I have to meet the deadline. Yes. And, and it's one of those things if you don't then you just start procrastinating anyway. So um yeah. I was, I'm very disciplined about that part of it. Um, but and then, but with the with the first book, presumably there wasn't that kind of time frame or deadline, or was there? There was a self imposed deadline. So right. I also I also wrote because I, I don't have the luxury of spending years writing a book. <laughs> I, I just don't. So it's like okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try and get a first draft done in. Um, in about 90 to 120 days and that's what I try and do and in fact wow. I, I had a reminder on my Google uh, calendar which I think still comes up or maybe I've cancelled it that said you know write first draft in 90 days so every day I'd wake up and that would be my reminder on my phone um, wow. just in case I took my eye off the ball. Um, but that's that's committed what other sort of uh, tools did you use to help keep yourself on track like that? Uh, it's just sheer bloody mindedness, I think. <laughs> um, you know, I just, I'm, I'm very disciplined in that way. And um, it's just, it just has to be done. And, and frankly, once you get into it, you start enjoying it and you kind of want to know what's going to happen. And you get yeah. excited about one of the characters that's slowly developing. So you really get pulled into it. Um, it's a very immersive experience. So you kind of want to do it because you want, you know, because I don't know exactly what's going to happen, I kind of want to find out mm. um, each day as well. You mentioned that you enjoy research. So what kind of research 
did you have to do for this book, apart from the, the fact that you'd already done research on the psychology of elevators previously, did you have to do much other research for this book? I, well, I really did research on the psychology of elevators, <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> um, and I, I researched a bunch of incidents in which people were um, stuck in elevators. But I also did a lot of, I um, mean, the book set in Wall Street, and the characters are all, you know, investment bankers on Wall Street. I've never been an investment banker. I've never worked on Wall Street. Um, so I did an awful lot of research just to understand the mindset, to understand what, what the issues are in terms of their personal lives. I went onto a lot of forums and blogs and read through Twitter feeds to get also when I was doing the dialogue, just to get a sense of the dialogue. Um, what what kind of Twitter feeds and what kind of forums would you have gone on to to do this research? Oh, there are a lot of forums for people who either work on Wall Street or MBA students who want to get jobs on Wall Street and they all trade information about um, everything from how to talk to your boss to what presents you should be giving them for Christmas to what kind of ties you should be wearing. There's endless amounts of information. Um, and I have to ask, what kind of ties should you be wearing? <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends apparently what you're, you know, how experienced you are in the, within the company. So the more, the higher you get, the brasher you're allowed to be. Um, <laughs> but one of the most interesting forums that I read was this um, discussion about um, how to make yourself not look tired in the morning. So these people are working, you know, 16, 18 hour days and a bunch of them were worried about looking too tired when they came into work in the morning. So they were trading secrets about how to, like, um, make their eyes look less puffy. So oh that was fun. God. All right. So what kind of research did you have to do for your first book, The Girl in Keller's Way? The Girl in Keller's Way, um, I did a fair bit. Um, there's a lot of, One of the main themes in that book is on memory, and um, I did a lot of research on um, on memory, excuse me, <clears throat> on memory, um, I hadn't studied psychology at, at um, uni, so I went and I, I watched, um, you can get, you can watch psychology lectures from Yale and various other universities in the US online. So I watched, you know, sort of psychology 101 lectures <laughs> in a whole bunch of topics. I read a lot of um, papers, research papers that were written uh, on memory. I just really wanted to understand it. So that was probably the main research that I did for that one. And so do you research what you feel you need to know first and then embark on writing or do you research as you go when you discover, oh, I need to know that? Um, I do a bit of research at the beginning and then I research on the run. Um, so, for example, you know, one of the, um, the, you know, one of the touchy issues that you write about when you're writing about crime are guns because, you know, when people know their guns, they really know their guns. So, um, you know, I wasn't sure about, I never used a gun before. So I watched a whole lot of YouTube videos on particular type of gun that I referenced in my book and how it's used. And I mean, I watched that ad nauseum because I didn't want to make any mistakes. So I'll kind of break off my writing and go off in, and research a particular line of inquiry like that because I don't want to make any mistakes. And I'll do that as I'm writing. Oh, thank God for YouTube, right? So. Yeah, sure. <laughs> So with the on a practical level 
what did you now? Did you research and then like store it in your brain, or do you, do you put it somewhere? How, like, how did you did you use anything in particular, like Word or Google Docs or Scrivener, just to uh, organize everything? Um, most of it's in my. I just remember, um, and occasionally I'll I'll might keep a list of stuff, and you know that I might want to come back to. But I usually inevitably forget that I have it, and I have to rely on my memory. Mm, mm. And so, what was the most difficult thing about this particular book, The Escape Room, about the process, the writing process? Um, this book, the story is quite complex, and the characters are very complex. And it's a very character-driven story, and I have um, I have essentially five characters in it, um, and you know, pretty key characters, and they're very complex, nuanced people, and um, and I really had you know, worked hard to try and bring those characters to life. And that was quite grueling doing that in a, you know, what I hope is a believable way. Um, um, the previous book had, I had less characters and it, you know, it was focused more on just two of them, whereas this one's quite focused on five overall. So that was pretty, um, that was pretty tough. So when you're developing these five characters and their specific personalities and, and you know, quirks or characteristics, did you have any kind of, again, was that in your head or did you have a dossier on them so that you didn't mix things up and, and stuff like that? No, I didn't have a dossier. Um, it just evolved and um, as I was writing them, I just kind of, I, I can't explain it. I, when I started writing, I, I read stuff that some writers had written about their writing process and I think it was Stephen King who said that when he writes characters, it's almost like you're sitting around a campfire and these people sort of emerge from the dark and sit down <laughs> with you around the campfire and that's how it is for me when I write characters. I don't really know too much about them. Um, usually I know their name, vague idea of just very vague idea of who they might be. And then as I'm writing them, they kind of emerge on the paper. Have any of them surprised you? Um, I guess, I mean, through the process of writing them, they have, I'm sure that if you asked me how this character was going to turn out at the beginning, um, you know, they would be completely, they probably turned out completely differently from what I expect, would have expected. Mm. Um, but I guess not too much because I'm writing them. So. Yeah. <laughs> what was the most enjoyable part of the process apart from finishing, of course? I, um, I love getting a first draft out and then I love just playing around with the words and sharpening things. And I, I love that whole process of molding the book and, um, you know, improving the dialogue. And um, for me, when I write, I almost think, I know some painters, they'll do their outlines with charcoal and then they'll start yeah. using the oils. That's how it is for me with writing. The first draft is kind of the charcoal outlines of everything. And I love the part when I get to put in the color and the texture. <laughs> and so if you, um, uh, apart from going on forums, just sort of back on the Wall Street thing, because you just mentioned colour and texture, did you go to Wall Street or or did you just in terms of the place and the setting, how did you get that onto the page? Well, I mean, I've been there in the past. I read a bunch of books that um, about Wall Street as well. Um, 
and um, so that helped. And then I did things like, you know, in one of the chapters I'm referencing, they're, they're having lunch at a restaurant. It's a real restaurant. I went online and I looked at their menu and I made sure that what they ordered was actually from the menu. Um, so rather than just giving them kind of making up a random name and, and giving yes. them random food. So, I, you know, I mean, thank goodness for the Internet, let me say, writing yeah, a yeah. book like that from Australia. It's not it's not easy. And that kind of um, uh, attention to detail is kind of typical of a journalist. So speaking of journalism, what's happening now? Do you plan to return to journalism or part-time or, or is this the thing now? Um, I, I love journalism and I would love to return to journalism and write books and raise three kids. I just don't know if I can do it all. Um, I'd love to, I'd love to do some, um, part-time journalism, but I have an idea for my next book. Um, have you started writing it? I haven't yet. I'm just, um, it was a really long and exhausting process writing the escape room. I wrote it in a pretty short period of time. Um, and in fact, after I did that first draft, I did a pretty full on rewrite in a very short space of time. So I'm taking a little bit of a break and I'm planning on starting the next one in June. Which presumably is a thriller. Like is this corporate noir as well? It's a thriller. Um, it's probably a slightly different genre again. Um, I think um, maybe being a journalist and I was um, journalism, I was I covered a lot of different things. I think I have a taste for variety yes, <laughs> in yes. my work. So, but it's definitely a thriller. But how does it feel? Um, because with journalism, with deadlines, with news, you're writing such short things in comparison whether they're scripts or whether they're articles. Um, how did you, was it hard to adjust to something that was a billion times longer? It is, and I think you have to break it down into smaller pieces, which is why, you know, you break it down into your daily word limit of 1,500 to 2,000 words a day mm. um, because otherwise it's just overwhelming thinking, okay, I'm going to be writing 90 to 100,000 words in the next X, you know, months. Um so, I mean, I, that's one of the ways that I did it. Um, but, you know, I think that um, you get a lot of journalism is an amazing profession and, and you get a lot of skills from it that um, you can apply in many different types of work. Mm. And, I mean, aside from the writing, um, you know, and aside from the discipline um, in terms of just meeting deadlines and that kind of thing, um, you know, there's a lot of research skills that I got from just from journalism. And one of the probably the biggest skills is, is persistence. Um, and you have to be persistent if you're going to be writing a book. You just have to be because if you're not, you'll just never finish it. Mm. Um, certainly not finish it in 90 days. Um, all right. And finally, what are your top three writing tips? If you had to share your top three writing tips with listeners who want to be where you are one day and have their book published what might they what might they be oh, well the first would be just write 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 every day don't get put off write your first chapter keep going don't don't go and keep rewriting your first chapter just constantly have momentum and move forward mm -hmm. um is a key one um, the second is read. You cannot write if you're not reading. So read as much as you can and read widely. And the third one is be persistent because, you know, you need persistence to write your book. But once you've written it, you need persistence to get it published. It's really tough as well. 
Um, so you really have to be very persistent in, as a writer. Love it. Okay. And on that note, thank you so much for your time today, Megan. Thank you so much for having me on the show. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you'd love to create your own picture book, a popular five-week course in writing picture books will show you how. In less than a few hours a week, you'll discover what you need to know about point of view in a picture book, structure and pace, as well as language and rhythm, finding the right voice, working with illustrators, publishing options and much more. Complete it online for ultimate convenience and receive personalised tutor feedback on your writing. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash picturebooks. There we go, Megan Golden, and I'm sure that book is going to be awesome. It, it's going to go very, very well. I... Um, and I'm I'm glad I read it because next week I am going to be in Manhattan. So hopefully I don't get stuck in an escape room. Well, hopefully not. But um, yeah. it's also worth noting that Megan's debut, The Girl in Keller's Way, is on that long list that we talked about earlier for the Davitt Awards. So, you know, she's very much part of that new crew of, um, you know, amazing female crime writers, which are just doing so incredibly well. And of course, you know, Candace Fox is one of them and she's, you know, part of the stable of AWC presenters. Is she not? Yes, she is indeed. So great to see so many awesome authors on that long list. And Mm. the short list, I believe, will be announced in July. So we'll see who Mm. makes the cut. Stand by. Yes, stand by. All right, where do we find you online, Al? You will find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You will find me on Twitter at at altait, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you will find me on Facebook and Instagram at alisontaitwriter. And you, Val, where do we find you except for Toronto? Yes, you will find me online at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. And, of course, connect with both Alison and I in the Facebook group. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community on Facebook and we'd love to have you in there. Awesome group of people. Um, and, of course, you can find the show notes at so you want to be a writer.com.au. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. 